and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been bringing you a series of webinars during the pandemic and the popularity has grown and grown. I must get at least one email or comment or text a day, if not more, uh, thanking me for doing these webinars. You have to realize it's a little bit selfish because I get to learn an awful lot doing these. So um, I'm so glad you're all getting to come along for the ride and listen because it's such amazing people that I've had on my show. And we're gonna we're looking at turning it into podcasts because um, so many people want to be able to listen to it in their car. So we'll see which ones work best as a podcast. I'm just starting to figure that out. So don't um, don't expect me to have that done right away, but just so that you know, we're working on it so that if you're in your car, you can listen to some of these webinars. Tonight, my guest is Diane Sept, and I have known Diane since the <laughs> 90s, I think. Early, early 90s, early yes. Early 90s, I'm pretty sure. I can't remember exactly where we met, and Diane used to live in Pennsylvania, I know that. Um, and so we, we go way back, even though there's many, many times when our paths have gone in different directions, we've always kind of kept an antenna out to know where the other one is, except when she moved to Washington State. I missed that. I thought you were still in Pennsylvania. But um, Diane has worked with gated horses uh, most of her life, I think, right? Um, since the late 70s. Okay. And so I'm going to let her introduce uh, herself to you, so it's probably better coming from her than from me. But tonight, it's, we're going to talk about smooth gated horses. And Diane, thank you so much for being my guest tonight. I know it was it was a bit of a challenge to figure out the technology. She's had to go to a friend's place to get a good enough Wi-Fi connection, and um, worked out a few details on presenting the PowerPoint. So I'll be running the slideshow tonight. Um, so Diane, just give us like a, a bit of background. You've been in the horse world for so long. So you really uh, have a lot of depth and experience. So let us, you know, tell us a bit about you and, and how you got where you are today. Okie doke. Um, I will say to that that Wendy, I think, just called me old, but I'm not sure about that. I didn't call you old. <laughs> um, I, you know, to just, I'm going to jump right to the very last thing she said and how did I get to where I am. And I will tell you, I know you take, you have to take advantage of opportunity, but I have been very, very blessed and lucky to somehow be with people who were incredible mentors and took me under their wing and I hung on for every word there was. And some of those were maybe not so good, by the way. And um, some have been just the path that I, Wendy, and you know, everybody else on your webinars. That is one thing that I have loved about the webinars. One of the things, and I've probably taken advantage of probably, I'm gonna bet 15 at least of these webinars that Wendy has done. And um, the wonderful thing is that so far, everybody that I have listened to across the board it is the same thread of wanting to do the right thing the well-being the knowledgeable thing for the horse and people um so i of course grew up a horse crazy girl like everybody in hamilton montana and i couldn't have a horse because we lived in the town um blah blah 
And then finally, uh, my mother and I moved to the country. I got my quarter horse, of course, because I was a cowgirl. Um, I started out at a ranch um, doing Western rodeo. And my mother got a spotted up strawberry roan Tennessee walking horse. It was so embarrassing to be seen with her because this thing was a funny looking critter. And um, most people thought it was an, an Appaloosa. But ironically, and my mother said, I'm too old to learn to ride anything but a walking horse. Oh. Um, anyway, I ended up doing rodeo with that spotted up strawberry roan Tennessee walking horse. And that started to shift my thought and it certainly drew some attention. Um, I was then very lucky. I was at a working cow ranch, a working ranch for years, every break from school I could get. Then in high school, I was um, lucky enough to meet up and go to work with Pearl Tompkins in Big Arm, Montana. Pearl Tompkins was one of the forefathers of the Tennessee walking horse breed in the Northwest. Um, she was an old cowgirl. She used her walking horses for around her ranch. Um, and I would sit by the hour and listen to her talk. She'd just pitter around her farm, throwing alfalfa hay to all the horses. And anyway, so that's how I really got started in gated horses. And yet, ironically, two of the very first horses I ever met when I went to this ranch I spent my life at in Stevensville, Montana, two of the first horses, which I, I think is this sort of almost an ironic start, where these, a black and a white horse, 32 years old, salt and pepper. And they were Tennessee walking horses. Meant nothing to me at the time. But I just kind of find it ironic that those are like two of the very first horses. So anyway, I've proceeded on. I love all horses. Um, I trained up at a very wonderful farm in Calgary, Alberta, that raised Tennessee walking horses. And I was there for eight years. Then I came to Pennsylvania to become a trainer at a walking horse pleasure farm, um, show pleasure. Actually, that's probably very close to when I met Wendy because I very shortly after that went to a centered riding clinic as a guinea pig. Um, and since then, it's like everybody else, Wendy, that you've asked, how did you get started in this? Well, ironically, my walking horse couldn't canter. What is wrong with this horse? What's wrong with me? Guess what it ended up being? His feet. Oh, wow. About that, yep. I didn't like that answer, by the way. Peggy said, until you fix his back feet, that horse won't canter. And I'm thinking, you know, I didn't drive an hour up here with my horse to be told you couldn't help me canter this horse. But guess what? That was right. Until his back feet got balanced, there was no way he could canter. He couldn't get his front end up off the ground. So anyway, I've followed since, and I'm very lucky to have colleagues and friends um, who are passion, all of our passions are the whole horse, the well-being of a functional horse. 
So, so Diane, let me just ask you a question because I had no idea that there were Tennessee walkers in the Northwest. Uh, and we're going to say back in the 70s? 60s? Yeah, that was back in, <laughs> that was back in 1971. <laughs> yeah, late 60s, 70s. You know, because I, when I think of Tennessee walkers, I think of uh, Tennessee, right? Um, and um, I, I've spent time in, in Kentucky because I went to grad school at UK. So, you know, I can remember going to some Tennessee Walker shows and that sort of thing. But I, I had no idea that the breed itself had really uh, expanded out of Tennessee. Um, and so what, why were those, why, it sounds like there was a fair number of Tennessee Walkers in the Northwest. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely there were. And um, Oregon, Oregon, the, the, the um, western part of Oregon was quite... Um, Thick with walking horse, walking horses especially, and the other smooth-gated breeds, you know, infiltrated. But I, the walking horse was very popular in the Northwest. There were a lot of walking horse shows in the Northwest. And were they used um, for for cattle or pleasure or? You know, good question. Um, actually, I knew several outfitters back, you know, that went into the back country. Bob Marshall, Seeley, that used um, gated mules and Tennessee walking horses in the Bob Marshall. Several of them, Wendy, good question. And um, I knew many people up in um, Northern Montana who used gated, um, the walking horse at the time for their ranch work. Yep, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so gated mules, they were crossing Tennessee walkers to get the gated mules? Mm -hmm. Yes, back then, yes, that is correct. Mm -hmm. Well, they would have been a fair-sized mule. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've seen one of those. All right, so so somehow, and we we don't quite have the history on that necessarily. The the Tennessee Walker migrated from Tennessee into absolutely. the Northwest and got utilized for lots of different things, and there were shows. There were, and and, and unfortunately, back then, if you will. And other than salt and pepper, I'm going to horse shows as a kid before I actually was showing. Um, the big lick, you know, the heavy, the ones with yeah. the big icky stacks on. Um, oh, did I just show some prejudice? I no, think I just mentioned it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but now you did. <laughs> I did, didn't I? Now, but I and I find it intriguing as I as I think back on this. It is amazing. So we talked about that being the late 70s, um, actually early 70s. It was a completely, I'm not saying I advocate it, but it was a completely different look than what it is now. Um, well, that, I, and I agree with you because when I was a kid growing up in Connecticut, we used to go up to um, the, the, the horse shows for 4-H and then the state level and going up to Yukon and then Eastern States, they had um, uh, American saddlebreds and they had three-gated and five-gated and they, they were, you know, they were stacked, but none of this kind of uh, aberrant type of, you know, that was just a, a bigger foot for a little more action. And that actually Helen Crabtree, and I'm sure you know who Helen Crabtree is. Oh, I rode, yes. Did you ride with her? I rode with her. She called me the little girl the, on the little horse. Saddlebreds. She's just, um, I have her book, and she taught classical position, alignment and gravity, and I yes, can, she that, did. yeah, saddle seat back then 
was actually a, a beautiful. It was really beautiful to watch. The horses had top lines. They were fit. They were, you know, uh, well, beautifully turned out. And we used to go to the garden to watch the National Horse Show. And we'd always go on jumper night, but they'd always have a saddle seat final. Um, and so we got to watch that. But it, I, you know, I really have to say that the 60s and 70s, if if anybody is old enough to remember, it's so different than what we're seeing today. I mean, horses Sadly. were engaged. They weren't. They didn't look like great, you know, um, German shepherds with their rear ends out behind them. It was a very different thing, and it's unfortunate that um, the whole in the in the gated horse world became extreme, just as we've done in so many other disciplines. And so I'm not saying that no other discipline has become extreme, but it seems that we can't leave things alone and we have to start messing with it. And the only way we can go is more and more to extremes. And that's what we see in all the disciplines, actually, whether it's the dressage, whether it's, you know, Western, whether it's raining um, or, or gated horses, we, we tend to to leave the middle and go to the extremes and then hopefully the pendulum swings back. But it seems to me that that's kind of what happened because I remember seeing saddle seats, seeing saddle breads, um, not really necessarily seeing a lot of Tennessee walkers uh, in my childhood, but the, the elegance of it, you know, it was really quite beautiful. And maybe you can talk to that a little bit while I read this comment that somebody's put in over here. A long one. Um, Thank you. Oh, um, you are so right. And I, um, Helen Crabtree still since deceased, of course, but she still upheld a balanced seat and a balanced horse. And um, it actually broke her heart to see the um, stiffness be brought in and the um disregard to posture in the riders um and yes we're all looking we're not all that's not true and that's why i have so enjoyed your webinars um some of my colleagues um and i've spoken about everybody is truly looking for the well-being how do we get to the well-being of the horse and i don't know about you wendy but I so find, and I say this to my students, you go to a horse show, which who wants to go to a horse show anymore? But you watch a saddlebred class or an equitation, a uh, um, saddle seat equitation class come into the ring. Dressed to the nines, they used up their entire cosmetic case that day getting ready for the horse show. And they come in. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, once in a while, you will see this entry come in the show ring in the gate and it flows it just flows and guess what that's the rider who has a decent posture and the horse even though of course they're high-headed but the high-headedness comes from telescoping right and not from your favorite word interflexing or inversion it truly comes because the thoracic sling the abs have been able to lift the front end of the horse and allow this float. I mean, it's almost like a, it's almost like a joke because there's absolutely, and what does the judge do? Like if I put, what do I do? I've got all these other ones over here that look the same. 
And then I've got this one. And I think that is part of the dilemma or um, the challenge that we're up against in this horse world. In the people, but I, that's what I see. I, I can't ride my horse the way you're suggesting because that's what I see. And I sure can't go in a show ring doing what you're suggesting, Diane, because I'll never place. So I will be less than beneficial to my horse so I can get a ribbon. Or the other way is you don't go out in the show ring and you just, even though that's, you know, I don't see showing as an adverse thing. I see showing as oh, a way to figure out where we are in our training. It's, you know, if you live in the closet, you can, you can fool yourself into thinking that you're correct. But, you know, it, there, that requires that we have judges that understand what good posture and good function is, that um, we reward people for presenting that. Um, and that's a whole nother discussion that I think maybe sometime it'd be interesting to get a judge to come on the webinars and have a little discussion about that. Um, and I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole tonight because, yeah. um, you know, we, we can see it in all disciplines. And that's my point is that Arthur Cottis said it best to me. He said, there are good riders and bad riders. And he, he did not qualify breed type discipline, you know, and there are good trainers and bad trainers. And he made it so simple that, you know, when we see people that are doing things that are less than optimum, that aren't considering the horse's posture, I always have to think, I'm hoping that it's they're, that they're lacking information. And if they had that information, they could make a good choice. But you cannot choose if you don't have the information. And if you're, I mean, it, it, I, I've seen this so many times, like I had a client and, you know, his daughter wanted to ride in a particular discipline. And I watched from a distance trying to advise them, go down the rabbit hole of buying the lame horse and then being sold, you know, then they had to get rid of the lame horse and buy another lame horse because that it was disreputable, the bottom line. And I could tell, but I, you know, how could I help them because I wasn't their trainer, I wasn't their instructor, I, you know. Um, and, you know, that's a statement on the industry as a whole that we, we um, need to address as a larger question of how do we bring accountability and, um, and credibility back into the industry um, but again, that leads us into a whole nother discussion. And I think tonight we want to focus on what, what is it? And on your, <laughs> I haven't looked at your PowerPoint, but what your presentation is because, oh. and I think with gated horses, we get into this discussion so much more rapidly, partly because of the media attention on some of the things going on in the gated horse world. Um, not that we shouldn't have attention on that. Um, but you know, what I find is that when we put an emotional attachment on it, we act emotionally. And so much of this has to be done in a rational way because it will not get done if we re react emotionally. Um, and maybe you can speak to that a little bit. I will. Thank you. Um, and that's why I so appreciate you because Everybody, if you've, if you've been watching Wendy's webinars, and I even heard her say it a couple times, I want to keep these webinars kind of a science, you know, scientific or things that have been researched and such. And yet she was willing to kind of open up and do almost an, what I'm going to call an umbrella topic. 
And on my PowerPoint, we're going to talk about some specifics. Um, we can't talk about every breed. So I appreciate you doing that because, yes, Wendy, there is truth and research and logic mm -hmm. to maintaining well-being. And something I'd like to slip back to for a minute, we talked about, and I have nothing against showing either, by the way. It's just difficult to watch sometimes. You know, when I first moved to Pennsylvania, I moved to work as a trainer at a, a brand new um, gated horse facility. And um, they bought me my flat, sh my pleasure walking horse. They bought me my heavy shod walking horse. Um, and I'd go out and I, not often did I not place in a class of horses. But I very, oh, I'm so proud of this, very seldom did I win. But you want to know what's cool about, and I think this supports and will do your heart good, is that's actually where I got most of my clients. They would come to the trailer after the class and they'd go, yours, that's how I want a horse to go. In other words, they wanted the one whose tail was wagging and they were going, hi, mom, hi, mom. And that's not true. My horses were very well trained and they were great horses, but they were relaxed and they didn't look like their eyes were going to pop out of their eyeballs. And so there are people out there looking for that. And that goes right back to what you said. And that's what I hope to do tonight, Wendy, is allow some truth and information that's just down-to-earth truth about a well horse. And it isn't about the fact that they are a, a smooth-gated horse. I want so much to let people, and it, I'm talking about professionals also here, by the way, yeah. realize that every breed of smooth-gated horse that we could list, and we have a slide here later, I promise we do, Wendy, you'll find yeah, it. Um, <laughs> the last word is horse. Oh, affecting the your high CPU. I don't know what that means. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, you, you, the computer's struggling a little bit, and you've, your um, audio just went a little fuzzy, but hopefully it's, it'll settle. Okay. Um, and so I want, I hope that I can bring some allowance to people that have been told because it's a because it's a walking horse, you have to wear this bit. And because it's a Rocky Mountain horse, you have to use this bit. And the Missouri Foxtrotters have a bit you have to use. Um, they're individual horses. And the basic truth is the basic truth. And we'll talk about the genetic side of that. That'll be my scientific um, offering to you, Wendy. Um, but there is a genetic truth that has been researched, um, but they're horses. And yes, I hope that we can help to let people feel comfortable and realize that they can work with their gated horse, whatever breed. As a and when you find a um, informed, knowledgeable professional, and I'm talking 
farrier, trimmer, vet, chiropractor, massage therapist, instructor, trainer, if they're informed about the well-being of a horse, they can help you. The way you know, it you is. bring up a super point, though, and um, because so often I have people, I never want to show again. And what you just said, if there is no example of a content horse on the show circuit, then no one will ever see it. And they'll just take what's out there as what it has to be. And so, you know, that you put yourself out as an example and you said it, you got business because people came to you, they recognize the quality difference. Mm -hmm. And so that's what attracted them. And, you know, when I had Julian Benyon on, um, he was formerly of Cavalia. And that was the thing about his Liberty workshop was that the quality was so different. The horses were loose and we see lots of people do Liberty, but it was the relationship and the connection with the horse that was so different. And if you don't have the opportunity to see that, if we, you know, if we all just say, well, I'm just going to hang up the show world, even if we like showing and our horse likes, because a lot of horses like showing, then yes, where's the do. example for people to know there's a choice? And, and so, you know, I, that's really great for you to bring up because uh, it, it doesn't mean you have to run out and show because you show one thing, you know, and you want people to see it. But if that's your nature that you like showing, there's no reason not to do it. And because if you're, if you're doing it for the ribbon, then, you know, that's kind of a whole different idea. But if you're doing that to present your horse and what you and your horse have together, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we do need samples. And you know, Wendy, ironically, I might like to add to that. It's not in the, just in the show ring. Um, because unfortunately, and I'm waiting for that to come up here on the chat list. Um, actually, well, um, I was just told on Sunday, I think it was, that a very, um, a very awesome traveling clinician commented on how she didn't like, I think it was just walking horses, of course, but because they were klutzy and stupid. But guess what? That's not true. No. And I'm thinking about not only in the show ring, can we... Can all of us, all of you out there, take the well-being and help your horses become more sound, more well, more healthy, more functional? You'll take a horse out on the trail and they go zipping over tree roots and around rocks and people go, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know gated horses could do that. I thought you had to keep them on a paved road. No. Just some of the information that we have been given. And what right do we have to question it? The person that gave me the information is a professional instructor, or they've had horses forever. They have to, even though it seems wrong to me, they have to know better than me. No, we treat and manage all of these gated, the smooth gated, Wendy likes to call them the soft gated, some people call them the ambling horses. Um, if we allow them to be in a healthy posture, they're going to show off all over the place. So show ring trail, it doesn't make any difference. All right, shall we dive into your PowerPoint here? Let's dive. 
So I'm going to run this, I'm gonna run, yeah. the screen for Diane um, because we were really concerned about her um, her connection. She's out in the booth. Talked off Wendy last night because, well, I'm not computer literate. It's okay, we got there. So that's just obviously, yeah, we did. Here we are. So that's just an opening. Um, there is where you can get a hold of me. Please, you're welcome to do so. Um, that can come back up if anybody wants to get that. Yep. So we're going to screen number two. I'm trying to look at mine. And even though that's a distant picture, I hope that everybody can see five horses out there. Well, I could point to them, but you couldn't see me point to them, so I won't. But hey, we've got five there's horses. a little white horse, and I don't think one, two, three, four, five. There are. Um, <laughs> and guess what? This is kind of one of my fun topics. They're all gated horses. Because guess what? If a horse didn't gate, it'd fall over. Every horse gates. And um, that's why it's kind of fun, interesting, how we try to put a cover name onto the horses who have been lucky enough to be mutated. Isn't that an awful word? We are mutated. Um, so on the left, even though it's not up close, but just for the fun of it, on the left, the little white one, that's Mr. Bug, and he's a spotted saddle horse. The gray horse is an Azteca. So he's the one that didn't get mutated. <laughs> And then we've got two black horses there. Um, the one that you were pointing at just there is my is a five-year-old um, Tennessee walking horse gelding. The one with her hiney end to us is a probably ooh, 15 or 18-year-old Tennessee walking horse mare. And then the one who's front and center looking, are you getting my picture? Is a 29-year-old Rocky Mountain horse. Oh. So. I thought it would be fun to say that because, again, I really do look at all horses as being gated. I found that very, very fun. Um, so, Wendy, would you like to go on to the next um, slide, yeah. please, unless you have something to ask or add? How many, how many gated horse breeds have been identified? God, I wish she could wait till I got further. Ironically, okay, mind if you answer that no, question. No, it's okay, because actually it comes up here. Um, I love this slide. Um, there have been 68 breeds that have shown indications to a possibility of having a smooth gait to them, but those are hit and miss. There have been over 30 who have been identified as carrying a gated gene, um, some that are double, so they almost will without fail gait, and some that can um, go back and forth between a four-beat gait or possibly a trot. Um, our gated Morgans, our gated quarter horses, our gated Arabs. Um, so no, that was a good question. Um, but I like this slide and um, this 
Dr. Gus Cothran, um, you can look him up. He has a lot. If you are more interested in truly studying about why our wonderful smooth gated horses gait, he has a lot of information out. Um, he's at Texas A&M. Um, I have a couple other names that I can give you. For those of you that want to do more research, um, but again, tonight we're doing a more general umbrella look. Um, but what I find fun, and actually, Wendy, you just had um, um, Deb Davies on a couple times ago, and she talked about um, the PC, oh, oh, she's going to get mad at me here, the CPGs, which okay. kind of goes down into his last talk. But so all horses have a DMRT3 gene goes through their spinal cord. The spinal cord is so important. The spine is so important. And then a fact, a fact, ladies and gentlemen, is that what the spine does is what allows the limbs or the legs to do. So a healthy, free-flowing spine will allow the gait that that horse is, I'm going to use the word wired, to do, it will allow it to come down, come into their legs. So in the last, um, gatedness is a trait that naturally occurs in all horses, but many breeds have been developed for a specific speed or gait, Cochran explained. So then our last one is about our smooth gated breeds. The team sequence, the DMRT3 gene of the test horses, they did thousands, by the way. I think they had four, well, that's not thousands, but they had like well over a thousand horses in this study around the world, by the way. Um, that almost every case of gated horses, there was a mutation. Isn't that, I just love that. We're mutated. Um, there was a mutation in the DMRT3. RT3 that caused a premature stop codon. It's not that big. All codon is everybody. It's part, it's part of the genetic makeup, the DNA, which causes the protein product of the gene to be terminated before the whole protein is completed. This alters the function of the protein, which leads to the difference associated with gait. So it's There's, actually a, 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 a protein that's, if you will, deficient that creates gait. We're mutated, we're deficient. Yes. Well, I mean, a, if it stops, if it stopped, yes, yes. if it, it stopped, stop. then it didn't keep going into what Correct. would be the three-gated horse. Correct. Genome or yes. protein. Yes. So, it's a, yes. so it's a protein, that's fascinating. It is so intriguing. I mean, obviously, this would be a whole nother, I mean, it's a complete study. Well, in we, we think of, of gait being a motor pattern that's in the brain, like learning to ride a bicycle is stored in the cerebellum. So you think of the gait as a motor pattern, but really it's a spinal cord pattern that is affected by a change in the gene that, that has a, a change in a protein. Is that right? 
Yes. And, if I may, yes. In the perfect world, yes, Professor Murdoch, that is correct. But you know as well as I do that if that sequence or that wiring is not allowed to flow and work efficiently, mm -hmm. the spinal column will get affected and then the brain will pick up a different habit. Right. And so the right. body can very quickly become habitual in how it's moving. And, and conversely, you could take a three-gated horse with back pain and turn it into a gated horse. <laughs> here, here, oh yes. And do we not see that way, way too much? Well, um, it's interesting because my horse, Al, he's a Clyde thoroughbred cross. And when I got him at three and a half, his neck stuck up like a, like a post, right? And he has an 18 inch overtrack. He literally overtracks 18 inches hind foot to front foot print. And so when his neck was stuck up in the air, he paced. But when he let his neck go, he walks. And I have to be so careful who I put on him because if they tighten the hip, he paces. You know? Absolutely. Yep. And you know, because of the difficulty that we had getting pictures back and forth, I chose not to include the videos that I had taken. Yeah. Um, because Sadly, one of the most common beliefs, and I don't mean to be, I, was, I want to keep this a positive progression, but again, that is certainly one of the very, very common training in the gated horse world, that the horse has to have their head up to gate, that the gate is in the mouth. Um, I was flat out told by a very wonderful person that my racking horse who's passed on some of you on here would have known dandy um he could gate he could rack a little hole in the wall and and harrow my arena for me at the same time i mean his nose could be on the ground why because he also had the support from his hind legs to lift his thoracic up and let him move those little legs. So that's a very sad um, piece of, as you said, misinformation. Well, I think we, we just need to be clear that um, the, the postural position of what is often called ventroflexion, which is actually extension in the back or a hollow back, isn't required for gait. Gait's a genetic trait and we can, uh, our horses will be healthier if they gait from their genetics rather than from a, a, a fixed postural position. Is that right? Did I get it right? Absolutely. And you know what I love about this so far, Wendy, is we might as well just throw the rest of the PowerPoint out. No, um, <laughs> no we won't. We won't. I'm, but you just bring up such um, passionate things to me about the truth of any horse, just like you talked about your horse. Um, Yes, when allowed into a balanced posture, the horse will do what it's 
genetics tell it to do. Now, I was supposed to be a model. You see, I really was. Should I stand up? No, like, I know how tall you are. Okay. <laughs> um, so we're going to have horses have the gait in them, but they are mutated with the stock coat. It doesn't mean that that horse is maybe necessarily going to become a world champion pleasure horse in the show ring. But they can certainly be the best that they are and have a wonderful gait to just wander down the trail or be out on the farm or be in a what we call a country pleasure class in the FOSS shows, which um, are very much about the well-being and the correct posture of a horse. And FOSS stands for Friends of Sound Horses. Very good. Yes. I've, I wrote articles for their magazine for many years. <laughs> yes, you did. I do. Yes, you did. I am very aware of that. Thank you. Um, and um, so you went back. You, oh, you know what? Why don't we go on yep. to the I, next? I do have an, oh, this is awesome. Um, oh, good. I, I do have another question. It's so much fun to talk to you because I, I, you know, because I can ask these questions. And um, what is the earliest recorded gated horse in history? I love it when people ask. I didn't know that. Um, I just looked at that. And I'm not going to be able to answer that question. But Maybe it's, somebody it's a long time, right? Gated horses have actually. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like totally. roughly. Just give us a rough. Were they there? You know, in Xenophon's time, or was it, or were they identified? Because half of it is, were they actually even identified? Um, I no, I believe that that is something that has been documented, if you will. That probably even back to Xenophon's time, yes. And if there's somebody out there, like if Elise is on or anybody, they know the answer to that. Okay, um, so if you know it. the answer to that question, just type it in the chat or yes. put it in the. And I or I will find it out. But yes, absolutely, Wendy. Um, it was not uncommon at all for horses to have a single foot gait or a little amble. It just was absolutely not even thought about. It was just what the horses did. And they were using horses. And so those were preferred horses by a lot of people. And so, yes, that's a, that's a very good question. Okay, I'm trying to get, there we go, okay. Um, so what we have there, obviously, is a list of many of the um, various gated horses. Now, as I said, there are over 30 um, noted gated horses that carry the stock coat on, the gate gene. Um, and I'm curious, you know, if anybody out there has something that's not on this list, I have the most common one, but if anybody has another gated horse out there that's not on this list, it would be fun if you would put it into the, to the chat, I guess, huh, Wendy? Um, I was very surprised, actually, that the Hasslinger was not on um, the list of some gated um, in that I have worked with three halflingers who absolutely in a nice posture with feet that are, you know, nicely trimmed. They're not, you know, they're good that will 
carry it off into a little little amble, a little little single foot. And they can carry it. It's not like they're, they stumble into it for a minute. They can carry that um, gait for quite a while. Um, you have a few on here that I have never heard of, um, particularly, I, I, I can use my pointer. So if you uh, look at the screen, I don't even know how to pronounce this one. The Pania? Yeah. Uh, and he is from, he's a Greek horse. Okay. There's actually three that are from Greek, a couple from Crete. Um, so it's interesting. They're all over the world, these gated horses. The so this one here, the, how do you pronounce this? I don't the Crete horse. The Masara is a Crete horse. And then and the, the Hokkaida, Hokkaida, he is from Japan. Oh, Hokkaida, obviously. Oh, I thought yeah. it was like Japanese. There's yes, a Crete horse Japanese. in Japan? Yes. Yes, and their feet are really little. Now, um, anyway, I think it even sounds Japanese. I love that, the Hokkaido. It sounds Japanese. Um, most of these horses, by the way, that are odd names that we aren't familiar with, most of them do a very non-spectacular, but just a cute little four-beat almost shuffle or amble. So they're a very preferred horse for working, um, and that's what they're for, for working, for pleasure. Um, Can you define amble? An amble is a little four-beat, um, non-energy excited movement. It's just a four-beat, where they just kind of roll along, roll along. So it'd be a nice trail gait. Awesome trail gate, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I have to ask you about Tiger Horse. Uh -huh. Where's that oh. from? The Tiger Horse is an American horse. Oh, never heard of it. it it's a cute horse, and um, we actually, they are one of the breeds. Um, so here we have, I don't know, there's fewer than 30 here, but there's quite a few of them on there. And as I said, they actually noted 68 horses in the study. Um, I believe there's 140 recognized horse breeds in the world. 68 of those, some would actually show the potential to have some gated in them, but not steady enough to truly call them mutated as a gated horse, a smooth gated horse. Over 30 are, they are mutated. They have that stop coat on. The IJA, our judges, our judges association in Fosh, has 15 breeds in our rule book who have their own rules, and one of them is the tiger horse. Oh wow! Yeah. So. Um, and and then the Arabian actually has that stop coat on. Some of them do. Absolutely yes. And actually. Um, when I was doing competitive trail riding, it wasn't common, but it wasn't what I would call uncommon, you know, to see an Arab go, you know, off in their beautiful floating trot. And then to pass them at another time when they were letting the horse kind of amble to change, because guess what? It lets different muscles be used. It actually allows um, 
the horse's body a chance to rest some muscles, use other muscles. It's brilliant. But yes, it's not an uncommon thing in Arabians. And Wendy, I still want to go back to what you said. Ladies and gentlemen, what Wendy said is so important. What did I say? <laughs> I actually said something really important. Okay. Is that we owe it to our horses to learn what a good posture is. Hmm. Because just because the horse has their head in the air and maybe is doing a little broken trot or a broken pace or a pace does not mean it is a meant to four beat gait horse and we're actually being detrimental to their well-being. And that's a huge difference, and if it, you will. It's one that's difficult for, for if, you know, if you don't know what to look for, it's for the, a lot of um, uh, lesser experienced horse owners that, that don't know what to look for, they don't realize that they're looking at poor posture versus confirmation. Um, and so that does- I have something for that. Okay, great. So before we get there, I have one more on here I want to ask you about. I can't pronounce it. I can. Pronounce I don't it. can't pronounce it either. It's um, the that is, they're from Germany. Of How course. do you say that? I don't know. You said no. It's Eigendeinberger. 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 Yep. So, so there are gated horses all around the world. Japan is a shocker. It's a surprise. Um, and... It would make sense that if there's gated horses in Greece and Crete, then there would have been gated horses most Wait. likely for, for a very long time. Exactly. Because exactly. that would make sense to, you know, if they were going to go do conquests and things, wouldn't it be a whole lot easier on these guys riding without saddles to ride a gated horse than a trot? <laughs> here, here. Listen to Wendy. She's very smart. Absolutely. And that's why they were very prized, as I said. Not even thought about, but I get bad boys today because, exactly, because they were easier to ride, for sure. Oh, and somebody's saying the Mar, is it Mar, Marwari? Mar the Marari? Mm -hmm. Marari. They have one. India. Um, yes, those are from India. Where is he? He's up yes, here. Yes, he's from India. That's correct. We have him, um, of course, the United States, um, Germany, India, Spain, Brazil, Crete, um, India, Brazil, Japan, Greece. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And since, of course, then, like, you know, so there, Germany actually has a horse that originated over there and is bred over there. It's amazing, though, how many um, of the different, the various gated breeds in the United States and Canada have been transported over and are now, um, you know, used for breeding stock to get the more popular, the more well-known United States and Canadian gated breeds overseas. Yes. Um, somebody, okay, very cool. Yep. Very good. So, um, I want, you know what I think I'd like to say, um, and we'll probably go into more depth, but you, you said such a true thing. 
Let me tell you a very sad truth. When I got my first judge's license, which by the way, at that time was with the Tennessee Walking Horse Breeders and Exhibitors Association, which is the father of support, you know, of the big lift horse and the, also the plantation shod, meaning heavy metal shoes with long toes and low heels and pleasure horses. You know, it's amazing that I got a license because they'd say, do you see what we're looking at, Diane? And you know what my answer was? Oh, yes. I didn't have a clue what I was. And I was out judging horses. Isn't that sad? Very sad. So here is something that I can share with you about every single horse in the world. When a horse is free moving through their spine and in some form, if you will, of self-carriage, at the walk, they will have oscillation to their whole spine. So when we watch our gated horses at the walk, and also it's, it's also true in all of the four beat gates and in walk, trot, and canter. There will be a slight, at least in a walking horse, it's going to be walk, walk. In a warm blood, it's going to be walk. I bet your horse goes like this, Wendy, when you're walking it. Hi, hi. So in, in your longer strided horses, you're going to have quite a beautiful flow of a left and a right through the spine. And it comes right on out through the neck and right up to the top of the head. That is one of the first things and an easy thing to, to start to train your eye for, everybody. That's really easy. And I'm also going to share another piece of information, and I think my friend up there, I think it's gone off the chat now, about my observation of horses' movement. The best vantage point to watch a horse walk, to see if they are in a four-beat balanced movement, is behind, about at the three-quarters mark from behind not from the side, but where you can actually observe the shoulders and the hindquarters moving. Because from that vantage point, you'll actually see the shoulder move. And then you'll see the hindquarters move. And you can still see the oscillation through the whole spine on out the neck over there, out the pole, and off to the next place on the trail. So those are some things. I know it, it does take an eye, Wendy. It does take practice. But there are some simple things, if you will, to look. And number one is that oscillation. That's life-giving. It keeps the internal organs healthy. And it allows for the gait that that, that individual horse got mutated for <laughs> the stop coat on. 
sadly, and I, some people are probably going like, but, but I've told, I've been told I was one of them. But you don't want your horse's neck and head to go left and right. Why? Because they're pacing. Mm -mm. If a horse is pacing, their neck and head are going, ee, 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 ee. the whole body is falling from side to side. It's falling. It's collapsing from side to side. It's not being carried with four legs, four quarters, and a healthy rib cage and spinal column. How's that? Does that give a different vision? Well, it just, you know, the, it fits with the whole idea that of flow through the body, whether that's fascia, whether that's movement, um, that the, it's a whole body function. And when we have stiffness, it looks like bits and pieces and you don't see that flow. What I always find, and this is one of the things I find so fascinating with Surefoot, is I'll watch a horse move and then I'll start using Surefoot with the horse. And then I'll be saying to myself, what was that like before? Because it's moving now and I can't remember what it was like. And it's often because our eye is attracted to movement and we don't see what's not moving until it then starts to move. So many people might look at their horse and think everything's okay because they're used to seeing parts of the body not move, such as the back. And then when it does start to move, it's a surprise. It's like, wait a second, what's, you know, I don't remember seeing that. It's kind of like, you know, when a horse sheds in the spring and you find old scars and you're like, I don't remember seeing those on my horse in the wintertime because the hair covered them up, right? And it's kind of the same thing that uh, because our eye is attracted to movement, a lot of times we don't realize something isn't moving. Exactly. And we, we have to be given the permission to realize that it moves. And you know, you take me to another place with that. We do have um, written dressage tests for gated horses. As a matter of fact, I will say, we, we actually, the very first competitive dressage tests were written in Canada, in Alberta, um, for Tennessee walking horses. And we actually had the first judged by licensed dressage judges gated dressage shows in Alberta, um, at which I was lucky enough to, to show in for the first three years before I moved to the States. We have a very, and now, of course, all the breeds take part. It's very popular. But one of the, here comes one of the things that I'm kind of a black sheep for, Wendy, and it's not the only thing, by the way. But um, what you will hear quite often is, well, how can a judge judge, say, a Tennessee walking horse up against a Pasifino? Or... I don't know how to judge. I don't know anything about, about gate, smooth-gated horses. I'm a dressage judge. I judge warm bloods and thoroughbreds. Guess what? What you just said is so important. Healthy, functional movement through the body is healthy, functional movement. So let's say I take a Tennessee walking horse into a dressage ring. His gait's going to be like your guy. You know, we're going to have 
10 to 18 inches over the stride and it's going to be a long because the Tennessee Walker's signature gait is nothing more than a lengthened walk. That's all it is. That's all it is. And so if my horse is performing a, a running walk properly, the judge looks at the movement of the body, the flow, the carriage. And then let's say, actually a pleasure path, uh, let's say a shorter stride, and let's take a Rocky Mountain horse, comes into the show ring. If his body is in balance and self-carriage, it doesn't make any difference what the footfall is because the footfall will be correct, just as you said a bit ago, if the spine dictates the footfall. Yeah. But that judge should be able to go, oh, look at that nice flow. Look at the telescoping to that neck. Ah, and look at the nice swing or oscillation to how the tail comes out of the hiney end. So you kind of opened that one. I hate to tell you. So somebody said, uh, um, somebody's asked they have a, they have two Arabian standard red crosses oh. alongside mares, a trotter and a pacer, um, gradually moved differently by their third year. Do you find that foals like this generally do not regain the ability to gait even with training? And I, I guess I'm a little confused by the question uh, because it sounds like, it sounds like the, she has foals that are the, yes. the Arab standard breads and that they're losing their, what gait they saw as a foal. No, that gate is wired in there. It will, it is absolutely findable. It can come back to the surface as long as what we do as far and like equipment. If the saddle fits and um, if we let them develop a good balanced walk, which is the base to all then yes, I absolutely believe that those horses can find um, their smooth gait again. And ironically, even though not all, obviously, not all Arabs are gated, but there is, and it kind of goes back to your question. Think about how old the Arab is, Wendy. It's, it's, it's an old breed. Um, so both of those breeds, certainly the standard bred, um, but of course some of them are very strong trotters. Some of them have the pace gene in them. Um, I think they very likely can refine a smooth gait for you. Yes, I do. And um, I would think that you know growth spurts have influence on gait, just as I've seen growth spurts have influence on gait. How uh, old are they now? Uh, she didn't say. Okay. Uh, did or maybe she didn't. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. It's a good uh, thing I brought you year, along. Their third year, so um, you could be dealing with okay, this. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and you know what? I you you spoke about this on one of your webinars. First of all, we need. I suggest we allow these young horses to mature more before we get on them, because if we start riding them at three, two, two years of age, three years of age, we are riding them in a body that is not ready to be weight bearing. 
they aren't even sure how their own body moves. So we can quite likely create a negative movement in them, like an on the forehand movement, which then they would, we would have to help them rebalance and then the gate will flow back in. So yes, you're right, age is huge, age is huge. And um, a lot of the gated breeds, well a lot of breeds do not mature um, until they're much older. And um, a lot of the gated breeds, six, six years of age, they still are in In her talk on Monday talks about when horses mature. So, um, oh no, they're aged now. They're not from 97 and 98. Oh. Me, like me. Um, but Martina's webinar is a really good one to, to listen to if you're thinking about, you know, how early you should start your horse. She, she has a lot of information there about what's happening in, in the growth and in the spine and in the joints. So that would be a really good webinar for anybody who has young horses. Um, and yes, yes. And so my, my support to you in your question is that if you will allow your horses release and find and maybe you can answer this question whoever asked about the arab standard bread crosses i can't see the names ironically they're in a light blue um if you let them reestablish that oscillation that i spoke about and as long as there's no damage in the spinal column at this stage of the game it can flow back in it can flow back in all right. Um, it's, it's kind of ironic what you talked about. Let, can we look at the feet, please, unfortunately? Let, let's look at the feet. Go back down. Okay. Go up, I should say. Up above the equipment. There you go. Because, Wendy, you talking about your sure foot. And it's funny. The first time I saw you do the sure foot, by the way, was at Lorne's. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And... Before I even had thought about that myself, I would use, I do, I use blocks, block of, blocks of wood. Um, but I'm not smart as you to do what you did. That, that was brilliant. But the reason I think that what you talked about with the sure foot um, and bring it in, bringing it into the smooth gated breed talk specifically, is until we make sure, so you could put a walking horse or any gated horse up on the sure foot pads. And they might create a little like, oh, oh, it might create a shift. However, that being said, our responsibility as the owner and I guess I'm gonna put the responsibility over onto our farriers and onto our veterinarians and anybody who guides and gives information to those of us that have horses. This foot on the left, the top left foot, the black foot, that is a very, very common foot seen on many of the modern day dated we we will not do justice to your surefoot pads, Wendy, 
until our horse looks like the one in the bottom right hand corner. Yes, and, you know, sometimes, and this is what I found is that e even if the horse is poorly shod or, you know, long toe, low heel, like in the upper left, and it's not ideal, it still offers, I've seen it create changes in horses where it changes relationship, and I've seen it guide owners into understanding what they, that they need to make a change to balance a foot. Beautiful. Beautiful. And as long, you just said it, as long as they realize a change is needed. Yeah, because Sherfoot's not going to solve a problem like a, like that horse on the upper left. It's, Sherfoot's not designed, it's not intended, um, but it, I have seen it bring comfort to horses where suddenly they go from grumpy to, to interacting, which, you know, is such a change in personality that it allows people to start thinking differently about the horse. Um, but I totally agree with you. I mean, there's sometimes that I look down and I'm like, unless until you change the feet, this is, this is just a Band-Aid on a very big hole. <laughs> and let's, let's, let's also go to a fact which is also going to be lower. But if we have a horse with a foot like that, they're probably going to do some kind of a gait, by the way, some kind of a discombobulated gait. But they are so down behind the wither and so heavy on the forehand that it puts us out of whack, first of all, because it are, we can't sit in balanced posture on that, but we certainly can, we can certainly compensations, can't we, for that. But again, the way that a horse is wired to move healthy and coordinated is to be able to come up in the front end to give the hind ends a place to come forward. So when we have a horse, this is, these are front feet, the black ones up in the left-hand corner, those are front feet. The hind legs, or the hind quarters on any horse, I don't care what breed it is, the back and the hind quarters have got to compensate in a way to get around those front feet because those front feet can't get off the ground until tomorrow. Um, one of the examples of that, which is not something I necessarily, if you've never seen it, I don't suggest you go look at it, but the reason the big Lick Tennessee walking horses, and you, some of you know what I'm talking about, but they're horses that carry a very big, what we call pack, you just stack up to five inches heavy. And when you watch them from behind, their hind legs go way to the outside of their front legs. Why? Because the front feet don't get off the ground as fast as the hind legs have to move carrying the person on top of them. So we want to use the sure foot pads. I, what a wonderful gift to have those to help rehab these horses that have been so stoic. And you talked about personality, Wendy. That is actually what first drew me to, it was Tennessee walking horses. That's what I had when I went to Pearl Tompkins, Shadow 50 head of Tennessee walking horses. 
their personality. That's actually what drew me into the walking horse world was their personality. They're funny, they're kind, but sadly that creates them to be very stoic and very martyred. You put them on the sure foot like you said and they go, oh, oh, thank you. And we start to see life come to them. And then it's our responsibility to turn their front feet into the ones that are in the bottom right-hand corner. It doesn't matter what breed. You need a balanced foot. That is correct. And I'm going to go back again. I will tell you what. Please, people, go back. Wendy, you have had some of the most amazing hoof brilliant presenters and just when I write to a friend and say oh you've got to watch his his um, presentation three days later another hook presentation oh my god um, and anything that is said by anyone that Wendy has had on regarding feet applies to every one of our smooth gated horses yeah. every one of them yeah th there's a myth that you have to shoe horses differently to gait. If gait oh. is genetic, then that is false. However, Wendy, this is all your fault, but thank you for bringing that up too. When horses, and, and whoever the person was that asked about the Arab standard bread cross, thank you, thank you, thank you, because what starts to happen if these smooth gait horses quit gaiting, guess what we do? Or, we don't. Guess what's not uncommon? Well, if we put a heavier shoe on, or we change the angle of the foot, or you pull his head up a little higher, you will be able, and they will, they'll put him out of enough balance that the horse has to scramble and do some kind of a gait. Yes, yes, balanced, with a balanced foot, a healthy, balanced foot. They can present to you the genetic gait they were born with. Thank you. Yep. Okay. okay. So you go on down onto the equipment. So another very um, interesting part of the gated horse world is equipment. So here I just took a picture of two of the, two, what I like to ride my gated horses in. I either ride in that bare western saddle or I, if I'm drinking tea, I ride in the one on the right. I don't care what saddle you ride your gated horse in. Except what? It has to fit. Doesn't it make any difference if it honks? If it's a saddle, it's a plantation saddle. But a saddle must allow for the movement of the rib cage, the movement of the hind quarters, and the movement of the shoulders. Raise your hand how many of you ran out and bought a gated horse saddle for your horse. One of the brilliant things, ironically, that the gated horse movement of making gated horse saddles did is ironically most of them added flare to the front of the saddle which is a positive thing 
flare at the front of the saddle lets the shoulders move, yeah? If it's the right size. But guess what? Even Wendy's horse has to move his shoulders. So he also needs a saddle that allows his shoulders to move. So my, my warning or my suggestion is, if it's a gated horse saddle, that's fine. That's fine. But it still has to fit your horse. And I guarantee you that not every Rocky Mountain horse, not every Manga Larga Marchador or Marari is built the same. We must make sure that the equipment allows the horse to be comfortable. I also just lined up a few bits. There's a, there's a simple little short shanked western bit there. Um, and guess what? That's a halter hanging there from that saddle. Yeah, I ride my horses in a halter a lot. I love riding in a halter. And then I have a little kimber wick and I have a snaffle. Um, I'm pointing to it like you guys can see me. The one hanging off of my English saddle is the bit that I use the majority of the time. Looks it like a miler. It's a little miler comfort snapple. It works really good for me. And I find that most, most horses are quite comfortable in it. But ironically, it works for me. And that's important. You have to be comfortable with it. So what this goes to show you, everybody, is that or what my desire to have you understand is you do not need a 10-inch shank walking horse bit. We, the Tennessee walking horse has their own bit. No, they're a horse and they have teeth. And um, they need a bit, if you choose to use a bit, that's comfortable for them to carry, that they can reach into and still have movement. Um, the Missouri Fox Trotter, it's, it's, it's a kind of a tradition to ride them in those aluminum bits that you make toilet paper holders with, like the ones that come on all the little pony bits. Those are a very popular Missouri Fox Trotter bit. They say that makes them gait better, that, that aluminum makes them gait better. The Pacifinos have beautiful bits that are traditional to their breed. But I do guarantee you, I guarantee you on crossing my heart, that the bit, as long as it's a comfortable bit for the horse, bit does not make the gait. And there are many articles, there are many books, there's many articles and um, training information out there saying the gate is in the mouth. No, it's in the body. It's in the spine. So no questions on that. So we can go on to the next one. Nutrition. There's a couple, there's a multifaceted reason why I brought the nutrition into this with the smooth gated breeds. Number one, we've already talked about the overall well-being of the horse, whether it be a Wakaloosa, a Tiger horse, or a Park Clydesdale. If they are comfortable, um, 
they will do their best. And if their internal system is supported with good nutrition, they'll be able to perform more like an athlete. They'll feel better. Um, a lot of our smooth-gated breeds, not all of them, everybody, not all of them by any means, but it's not uncommon that many of the, especially the, the American um, or the North American gated breeds, have a propensity towards insulin resistance and Cushing's. It's just not uncommon. And I dare say everyone I have does, even my five-year-olds. Well, we didn't think horses got Cushing's or insulin resistance at that age. Now that I know a little bit more, um, I am already treating, feeding him as an insulin resistant horse. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see how that pans out in his future. But down at the bottom, um, right, I have up the free choice mineral feeders. I think you can, I hope you can see that. There's a whole line up there. And if we happen to have horses, that's, that's Mr. Bub, that's the little spotted saddle horse. As they start to rewire themselves to a healthier movement, they need nutrients to feed their neurological system. When we offer a free choice system, the horse can choose what minerals might best serve that day for what that horse is going through. And I really hope there's nobody out there that has this situation. But if we have a horse who has um, been ridden in an inverted posture where the spine has gotten depressed down, neck up, it has likely um, created inflammation and likely shut down some of the proprioceptors in the body. So sometimes certain minerals are needed to help kick that back in. And a lot of times even just vitamin C itself is a help to, to tell the neurological system, the wiring system, wake up, wake up, we're going to come back to life now. Come on, come on, just like putting them on the surefoot pads and seeing their eyes go, oh. So that's why I wanted to put that up there because it can be incredibly awesome to helping a horse reestablish their internal flora and their nutritional balance. So, okay, how are we doing? Uh, that's just a picture of a beautiful horse that I thought we should have a moment to look at. Look at that walk. Look at that walk. That is in that horse. Look at the height of her wither. Look at, she's actually, even in that snow, you can see that she's probably got both hind feet, or the one might be just coming forward, but she's supported behind and lifting up and proceeding on who knows where she's going. So anyway, I just thought that was a nice picture to show.
We've talked about some of this already, um, but I wanted to specifically bring up three, I'm going to call them disciplines, things we do usually with horses. And I'm wondering how many people right now are going, is she crazy? You can't lunge a gated horse. She's crazy. If we lunge with the awareness of allowing oscillation while on the lunge line, lunging is a completely acceptable and beneficial exercise. And it can be absolutely awesome for horses, oh, this would be, this I would actually even go with, I'm curious about those Arab standard bred crosses. I wonder if they're trotting or pacing, they're probably trotting. Um, but if you take a horse that has gone to the side of paciness, where the legs on one side move at the same time, watch it from the three quarters line, everybody. Lunging them, over ground poles is one of the most is one of the easiest exercises for them to help rewire that system without us on their back you know give them the opportunity to find that four beat or diagonal movement when you're just out there coaching them and allowing them to find that. And I think something people need to realize is anytime you are on the ground and there is a line or even an invisible line between you and the horse, you are lunging. You know, so many people look at someone with a lunge line and a lunge whip and say, you know, that's lunging, but then they don't see someone with a, long lead to a halter as lunging, but it's all, anytime the horse is going around you, basically that's lunging. And Wendy, I love what you just said, because that takes me down, don't worry, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole, but it's so important what you just said. The horse going around me, at the end of even just the lead rope, is lunging, and that's the best place to start lunging, by the way. Well, no, it's best to be up even closer. But we need to make sure that we are allowing the horse, no matter what distance they are from us, to lift up the front end, to lift the thoracic sling and the withers, and oscillate. And then lunging becomes a beneficial exercise. And you say, I just loved your words, but if they're just spinning around us, wow, 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 I guarantee you that we are wiring negatively into that horse. And we want to allow them to come up in the front end instead. So thank you for saying that, yes. Driving, by the way, when you go back through some of these breeds that even some of the ones you asked the questions about, they're very commonly used for driving. 
they actually were bred. They um, they kept strengthening the gene in that breed for driving. So, and they're wonderful. You can drive. Driving is a great thing. That's a lot of fun. I love fun. It's fun. It's fun. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah, you haven't mentioned this yet, um, and I just wanted to point it out that all gate smooth gate is a variation on walk. Bingo. Thank you. I wanted you to get something to say. But you're right. Yeah. No, it is. Thank you. And and she, Wendy, you can take it to the bank what she just said. It is true. Every one of the intermediate, if you will, that's kind of the term, mountain pleasure gate, tent running walk, Missouri Fox trot, um, rack. They, they, the rack, they are a offshoot. They are an, um, they are a, the, a continuation of the walk. The, it's, the walk in Dr. Deb Bennett's language is an isochronal movement. It means it's an evenly spaced gait. And yes, if we are able to help our horses or not or not impede our horses from doing and getting stronger and stronger at a walk, you're right. That gene will pop in and they will do their gait, Wendy. You're absolutely right. Well, sometimes um, people think gait is, is some, you know, because some of them are so fast, you can't really see with the naked eye that you're really looking at a walk um, and anything is, other than a, like a pace or a flying pace um, is, you know, the word pace means lateral pair of legs. So it nullifies that from a gate, but any, and I remember in Dr. Clayton's book, she had um, the biomechanics of the horse. She had a list of all the names of the different gates um, there, and there's a huge, it was like a list of like 30 names, but they're all still a variation on walk. Yes, they are. And which brings me to something else, which I would have gone with riding, but this is a great time. So um, we talked about riding horses when, like you said, Wendy, they're still out of balance. They, they can't even carry themselves functionally, let alone weight bear a human being and a saddle. Another very taught and common belief in the gated horse world, and I believe it to be true in every breed that you could say, except maybe the gated Morgan. Well, unless you wanted your gated Morgan to be that. Don't canter your horse until it has that gate locked in. Don't let it know it can canter. Do not canter that horse. So you're not going to probably canter that horse until five or six. Um, so I have an interesting question here for you, Diane. Um, someone's asking that they have a Pasifino that was started and trained and shown in Phenogate, most collected. Um, and when she adopted him at 15, he was high-headed with a quick, powerful up and down front legs. She's worked on lowering his head and replaced the curb bit with a snaffle and a yakima and done groundwork for relaxation, and now he isn't gating. 
Is it a realistic to hope that it'll be able to gate again in this new frame? Yes. Yes, Linda, definitely. Definitely. Here's, here's. I think one of the things you have to realize is that's 15 years of a habit. Bingo. In a, in a particular posture. So just as a lead into your life. And again, and I know, I do know this lady. Thank you, Linda. Um, I don't know what x-rays you've had. Um, here's the thing that happens, and I actually was going to just talk about this, so how timely. She must know me well. There are some pacifinos who are bred to do the pheno. The pheno would be the most collected gait in our gated horse spectrum. So here's the pacifino up here in their gait being very collected. If they were bred to do that, there's the sad thing for that breed. Great breed, by the way. Love the pacifino. And I have, I have a very good friend who uses pacifinos in endurance, and she knocks them dead out there. Wendy. <laughs> um, she just came back from a three-day in Idaho and cleaned up. Um, what happens, sadly, to some of the pacifinos, is somebody gets a pacifino, and they're all excited because they've seen these horses that do this incredibly vibrant, quick, up movement, and they try to make their horse do that. By how? Pulling them in, holding them up, holding them tight. And their body quits flowing. The energy quits flowing. Some pacifinos are not meant to be pheno horses. They are meant to be very nice moving pleasure show horses or trail horses. I'm going to flip-flop all the way back again to the spectrum over here, the Tennessee walking horse. Misprinted all the time. And I know some of you have been told this. We do not collect our Tennessee walking horse up to do the running walk. The running walk is an extended walk. It's a length. It is the most extended walk on God's creation. And Wendy knows this. The very last gate introduced in dressage is an extended walk because it's one of the most difficult gates to grow the strength of the abdominals and to get lifted and thoracic and allow that horse to carry that movement. So that's one place I'd like to bring our gated horses more into the real equine world of correct terminology. So, yes, Linda, if, if he has, still has the ability, and I know you've done a ton of wonderful work with him, you're amazing patient, and he begins to be able to find and be consistent with oscillation and starting to be able to come up and support himself with his hind legs. 
he will be able to find the um, the gate again because it's bred into him. And he just will have to cross over that place of confidence that lets him know he's not going to have to gate like this anymore, that he's going to be able to flow on and go into gate. Yes, I do believe it's doable. Yes. Would it be worth her looking to see if there's any degree of arthritis in his spine from the years of being ridden hollow? And that's what I'm curious. Have you had x-rays of his spine, Linda? She's done a lot of work, Wendy. She has yeah, done that's, a lot you know, of work. When you, when you know that a horse has the breeding and capacity, but you don't see it coming out in the work, um, and you've worked that hard, it's one of the questions that you have to start asking. Um, it, you know, what is Absolutely. it in a horse, if he's bred that way, he's been able to gate, but in a certain posture, and now the posture's changed, it's it's just, a, it's a valid question in my opinion to say, you know, oh. is, there, is there something we're missing? And could it be that- So look at what she wrote back, Wendy. I'd forgotten about that, thank you. So he's got arthritis in both cycles. Why? Because he was he was being asked to put undue strain into them, but she hasn't done the back, so that's interesting. It it would be worth talking to your vet about it and just asking the question because if he has arthritis in the hocks, there's chances are he has arthritis other places. And um, Diane, there is a tapping sound. I I'm I'm wondering if it's just water dripping off the roof where you are because it's rhythmic. <laughs> it's a gate of it's a gated movement. I hear not, I don't hear no, anything. Okay, I think it's no, I hear it at my end. It started a little bit a little bit ago, but anyway. All right. So I, I think it's the ocean. Okay. Um so when it comes to riding, again it is our responsibility to make sure that the equipment that we are using allows us to sit in the most efficient place on the horse's rib cage to, um, to let them move freely. That is literally right behind the withers. Some of you have been told that we sit back on our gated horses, so that engages. This is again, Wendy, this is another very common traditionally taught equitation on many. Boy, I quickly go through the breeds that I see at horse shows and stuff. That if you sit further back, it's going to engage their hindquarters and they're going to go into gait. We need to be off of that horse's um, unsupported loin area so that they can use their hind end. They can coil and lift and their front end can come up. So please, again, it's our responsibility to learn and find how to ride in a balanced posture. I know a couple of really good riding instructors, by the way. Um, you're supposed to laugh, Wendy. Yeah, I, I smile because I'm barely, <laughs> I'm not, I haven't taught since the pandemic started, actually. <laughs> Don't be scared. You've got, you got it, girl. you got it under your belt. Um, I know. I hear you. Um, but anything that is true about correct posture, 
functional riding, the float of allowing a horse to move freely is what will allow our smooth-gated breed horses to call on their genetic wiring and the freedom of movement and give you the gait that they have, that they were um, born with. And you can then strengthen it and make it more consistent and fun. And Diane, I think you bring up a really excellent point here at the end in that so, I've run into so many people that think, well, I bought a gated horse, it should just gate. But as in everything else, a gated horse has to be trained to gate consistently. And that includes strengthening to be able to carry the weight of the rider and maintain gait for longer periods of time. Um, it's unrealistic to think and I, that you're going to buy a gated horse and you're going to be able to get on and ride it out on the trail for two hours, having you know the horse not in condition and be able to maintain a gait for that length of time. It's it's not a realistic perspective. And Wendy, you would not, well, you would believe you've been out there a long time. The number of people, you know, good students of mine, then they'll go and I'll say, you know, this sad. And they really do. They say that he's a gated horse. He should gate no matter what I put on him and how I ride him. And I mean, they've gotten really, yeah, they do believe that. Um, so I can't cook anyway. But if you gave me something other than a spoon to cook with, I'd be lost. Um, we have to have things that work well and easily. And yes, we have to strengthen and allow, again, I'm gonna dog on a bone with this. I promise you that if the horse's neck and head, the whole spine, if you watch from behind, from the tail, up the spine, up the neck, out the occipital, if that doesn't have a beautiful, swaying oscillation or a snake-like movement, we are inhibiting or our horse is inhibiting their movement. And it will not be able to have happen what you just suggested, Wendy, which is strengthening the gait to become better. Um, yes, yes. Well, Diane, so, this has been fascinating. I, I, I didn't realize there were, uh, so many breeds. I mean, you brought up names of breeds I have never heard of before, and I don't claim to be an expert on the number of breeds, but there were some really interesting ones. And to learn that um, that gait is encoded in the genes, it's a genetic trait that, I mean, I've always said, you know, if the horse isn't gating in the field and you want a gated horse, do not buy the one in the field, because if they're not gating already, they're not going to gate, you know, it's going to be very hard work to get them to gate with a rider. Um, but I didn't realize just how deeply encoded that is into the genetics and that it's a trackable trait. Um, and how many breeds have it? That's fascinating. Um, and I totally agree with you that, you know, it, it it's, it's back to that comment that I made earlier that Arthur Cotta said, there's good riding and bad riding, and there's good function, you could apply that to so many things. There's good postural function for carrying the weight of a rider, and I refer to it as weight-bearing posture, um, versus yeah. you know, the horse in the field just wandering to get a drink of water, which is a very different uh, demand on the system. It's not bearing weight, and it doesn't matter if it's a gated horse, a smooth-gated horse, a three-gated horse, a five-gated horse, a you know a one-gated horse, they still need to be in a... <laughs> 
weight-bearing yeah. posture if we're going to ride them. And will you thank you? And will you you brought me back to something that I somehow let go, and it's so odd for me not to stay on point. Um, but I I started to talk about how we are. It's very common to be instructed to not allow your smooth-gated breed to canter until that gait is in. No, what happens? Our our, our smooth-gated breeds have kind of a ironic dichotomy in that why they're so neat to ride is because they have at least one foot on the ground at all times. They might have one foot, they might have three feet, but it allows them to be smooth, right? The debt, which is wonderful for us, until their bodies get so depressed and ground laden that the back, the thoracic sling starts to back drop, the back starts to drop, and then they aren't so smooth anymore. And so, but that's okay, we'll put some different shoes on. Please, please, we can look at it, we can call it cross training if you want. Hopefully they're out, not stuck in a stall 24 seven, they can at least run out, be out and play. But you know that horses, they're so willing to please. And somebody really talked about that on one of your, one of your webinars, Wendy. They are so willing to please. They are not jerks. They do not make a decision, ha-ha, here she comes. I'm going to really piss her off today. They don't think like that. Gated horses, oh, many, many breeds, but the gated breeds tend to be incredibly personable, incredibly stoic, and they will do their best to please. So if you tell them no, 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 don't canter for three years of their life, they will even get to the point they don't canter in the field. And their bodies start to absolutely die. They start to die on us. Trot your horses, canter your horses, let their bodies feel that energy. And they can they learn can... the difference between when you ask for gait, when you ask for trot, and when you ask for canter. I mean, that's, it's just simply training. What a um, concept. Yeah. What a concept. What do you mean you don't want to, you give a cue for the canter and you give a cue for the, really? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, Diane, this has been, like I said, it's been really fascinating. Um, it's been so interesting to learn more about just, uh, you know, like I said, the genetics of gating. And, you know, it's really great to help people understand that we carry a lot of myths about horses. Um, yep. Carry them for generations and they've been taught and passed down. But the bottom line is that we, we need to reevaluate given the knowledge that we have. And so many points that you brought up refer back to different webinars. Dr. Peters talking about the brain, Martina Nearhart um, talking about back pain we just had on Monday. Um, the thoracic spine we had with the Equisoma folks. So any of you watching this webinar tonight, if you find that there's particular things that Diane talked about, just search back in the webinars and I'm sure you'll find a webinar that kind of explains a little bit more, certainly about feet, there's plenty about feet. I mean, that's what we're just trying to do here is a reference library, if you will, of all these webinars. So um, just remember, you can find all of the webinars on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. And if you like Surefoot, just go out and join fans of Surefoot on the Facebook page. Also like our page, Surefoot Equine. 
Um, this and all the webinars are available to be found on the Surefoot Equine YouTube, uh, sorry, website, surefootequine.com. On the calendar, you can always register from there to any of the webinars. And Diane, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the effort you made to get to a good connection. It really made a difference. Um, and it just uh, really went so much better. Um, last night, we practiced at her house, and it was rather difficult. I wasn't even sure we are going to have video, so she's really made a great effort to, to go to Sally. And do tell Sally thank you for me. I haven't seen her in a couple of years now, so I miss everybody out there. Yeah, yeah. It didn't happen a couple of years ago when you were supposed to be able to come. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Tomorrow, my guest is Tracy Vroom. We're going to talk about cranial sacral, so that's at 11 o'clock Eastern time. Um, so check that out. It'll be a great, really interesting talk. And thank you again, Diane. It's been a pleasure to see you again, and it's been, been too long. It's been fun. Thanks, Thanks guys. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.